having difficult conversations are a part of your job. So it's something that people should be comfortable with. Students sometimes cross a line in terms of their own partisan rhetoric, but if it just devolves into a shouting match or a, I read this on Fox News, I read this on MSNBC, uh, we don't really learn anything. We just had a whole conversation about the election. You deal with the issues, but you don't deal with them in a way that the students have to have the emotional responses that drive them batty and shut them down. From IDEA, this is Sound IDEA. Politics, race, religion, social class, and more. Helping students explore potentially volatile topics is a goal of education, but it's not always easy. It's difficult topics in this edition of Sound Idea. I'm David Pollack. 2016 was a challenging year in many ways, with racial, political, and other social conflicts rising across the country and around the world. The differing opinions have contributed to difficult conversations across dinner tables and workplaces and in college classrooms. Whether an instructor teaches a subject that invites the issues to the forefront, like a sociology or political science class, or something seemingly innocuous like algebra, the topics have found their way onto campus and into classes, sometimes invited, sometimes unavoidable. One of the places it could not avoid a topic recently was Texas A&M University in College Station. I want you to know we are here. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear our voice. About two months before the inauguration of Donald Trump and seemingly emboldened by his election, some say, a leader of the so-called alt-right, Richard Spencer, spoke at the university. He was invited by a former student to speak in a rented space on campus, something the university says they could not disallow at the public institution. News of the event spread through campus, moving hundreds to protest on the night of the event, leading to a counter-event, confrontations, and sometimes attempts at discussion. I'm not trying to say any race is better than one another. I'm just pointing out that I should be proud of who I am, just as you should. I'm talking about Western values, freedom of speech, freedom to practice one's religion, freedom for gays to be who they want to be, freedom for equality for women. Um, I guess with smaller groups of people, it feels okay to talk about what I like how I feel, but in a bigger group, I probably still wouldn't feel that comfortable just because it's real tense right now, so yeah. Students we talked to, for the most part, felt that discussing such divisive things on campus and in classes was a good thing. I don't think discussion is ever a bad thing. Um, I think the problems come when you try to censor other people's freedom of speech. So, with the election of Donald Trump and things such as that, we've definitely discussed uh, a lot of things relating to hatred. Uh, we've read the master-slave dialectic, things like that, and it sparked a lot of interesting discussion. Obviously, people feel pretty, uh, pretty strongly one way or another, but at least so far it's never escalated toward intimidation, it doesn't seem like. I think it's important to talk about politics and to exercise your ability to influence politics, whether it be voting or whatever. I think it's important to be informed. And so I think political uh, discussions in class help that. It's a challenging place to express yourself sometimes, uh, meaning that you're always confronted with someone else's opposing viewpoint. And I think that if you, 
take the time to understand the way that someone else feels, then you're more likely to come to a conclusion or come to some sort of mutual agreement with them, or if not, at least properly understand their side. If you're not willing to do that, then what's, what's, what's the fun in college, you know, if you're not being challenged? So do you think that the university is like the correct form to kind of have those discussions? Yeah, if anything, it's probably the best form to be at because this is a place of higher education, higher learning. You're supposed to be able to accept all viewpoints and to, you know, reason them out and then make your own assumption or make your own conclusion, I guess. I feel like if you have an opinion, I mean, that's what a First Amendment is. You get to speak and if, you, if it differs from somebody else, then it does, but yeah. Oh, it just got really loud over there. Yeah. <laughs> when I say I'm a sociologist, they say, well, you're supposed to talk about tough things in class. So it's kind of a given that you would actually confront any kind of problems in a direct way when talking about social issues like this one that popped up. Reuben May, a Texas A&M professor of sociology, not only did not mind discussing the issue in class, he brought it up. It only came up in class because I asked them questions about if they knew who this person was and if they knew that he was coming, and only a few knew. And so we had to begin to inform them. So that's the surprising part about it is that in many ways uh, the students live in a very kind of, um, I don't want to say sheltered, but they live in a very me-focused world and their social media is directed to their taste and their choice. And so they're not exposed to a lot of things that they might need to care about. And so the classroom itself became the place and space to actually address the uh, arrival of Mr. Spencer to campus. And I always talk about everyday life and kind of broader issues, and so they're used to this idea that they will be confronted with something they may not be aware of or something that's not necessarily comfortable, and then we'd move from there into a conversation. And he was just one of a many things that happened all semester that we talked about in that same context. May directly addresses these and other issues in class despite their potential volatility. We just had a whole conversation about the election. It's cunning. That's what it is. You you deal with the issues, but you don't deal with them in a way that the students have to have the emotional responses that drive them batty and shut them down. So whether you're dealing with some local explosive issue like May and his fellow Texas A&M faculty had to do, or discussing the election or other hot issues like many other faculty must do, how do you achieve this quality of discussion without it going off the rails? The first thing is to establish a level of control over the classroom environment and then reminding the students that ultimately I'm going to be the the force that maintains control and that's something as simple as okay well we don't shout just raise your hand right that's that that might seem like it's not a big deal but it really means a lot and then there's another strategy that uh, I think is more intuitive for me but may be useful for someone who's developing this skill is there's nothing more useful, I think, than a good, well-placed, timed joke. You see, because what happens is that people get into this, this hostility, and if you can provide some kind of maybe self-deprecating joke, some kind of statement that, that makes people laugh, that instantly eases the tension, and then you can reiterate and support people who may felt like, feel like they were not being supported, and you can accept ideas that people were having a hard time conveying to others and, re, and re-speak it in a different way for people. So uh, I don't underestimate the power of that. I think it's a very powerful thing to be able to say something that kind of people, make people laugh and now they're all back common 
and then you can walk them back through the pieces without getting so upset. The main thing for me is just that everybody has a space to express their ideas as it relates to the course material, and that that is done in a way that is respectful, and it doesn't um, attack or maliciously go after or target other groups or individuals. So space for everybody to participate, but part of that space to participate means that you're not going to be a target in the classroom. Shavella Pittman, Associate Professor of Sociology at Dominican University, agrees that establishing clear ground rules is the first step. Faculty should already have established some guidelines, ground rules, behavior expectations, whatever language you want to use for it, that makes it clear that particular sets of behavior are encouraged in the classroom and that other ones are uh, discouraged. So if you have those expectations in place, um, they're communicated, you model them, um, they're revisited throughout the course, and that there are consequences when anyone in the classroom setting um, doesn't behave in accordance with those guidelines. Those will will keep conversations, whether they're expected or not, um, that might be challenging, sort of within reason. And so while I went over this, uh, in class on Monday, since today is our first substantive day and momentarily we're going to start engaging in a discussion, I just want to go over some basic ground rules. It's nine days before Donald Trump's inauguration, and at Butler University in Indianapolis, Greg Schufelt, assistant professor of political science, goes over his ground rules for discussion in his political science class. The larger academic setting, and this course in particular, requires an open, inclusive, an engaging learning environment in which students feel comfortable expressing their own opinions as well as being exposed to opinions, cultures, and political viewpoints and personal experiences different from their own. With this in mind, I expect students to engage one another with respect, courtesy, and sensitivity both inside and outside the classroom. And so, as I've said before, I make a really concerted point, and you'll get sick of me saying that this is a political science class, not a politics class. So at no point will you be assessed or evaluated based on the extent that I agree with your statements. I would encourage you to use this class as an opportunity for yourself to flesh out what it is you think about the issues of the day, what you think the right relationship between government and its citizens should be. Uh, and I would encourage you to use this class as a place where you can explore those things in a judgment-free zone. Uh, if you disagree with your classmates, absolutely take advantage of this opportunity. Engage your classmates. College and this class in particular is a good time where you have this opportunity. You know, Facebook or 140 characters on Twitter is not the best time to really understand the depth of what your, uh, your friends and your family and your coworkers might feel. So in this class, you have the opportunity to learn from one another. And so because of that, I ask that you always treat your classmates with respect. Be mindful of the language that you use. Be mindful of how your classmates want to be treated. And be mindful of how you want to be treated yourself. Schufeld says the guidelines are important, but adds that having a clear purpose for classroom discussions is another important strategy for ensuring their success. I always, in terms of discussion, really have a clear roadmap in my head. It doesn't necessarily always follow because I, I let students kind of take the discussion where they want and so sometimes we end off in, in different directions. But I think to the extent that I have a plan allows me to anticipate the types of comments that might come up 
and in a structured setting get everybody back to the points that I want to make or to the lessons um, from the readings or the assignments. So even if somebody says something that might want to shut me down personally uh, or might shut some other classmates down, I'm able to see how that perspective um, might fit into the broader argument. I think it's important to acknowledge to the students that not everyone is going to agree. Jay Howard, Dean of Liberal Arts and Sciences at Butler University, adds that setting the tone of discussions ahead of time is also important. We want to have an environment where people feel comfortable and safe, and put safe in quotation marks there, to engage in a discussion but that doesn't mean you won't be exposed to ideas with which you might disagree or ideas that might even challenge some of your fundamental assumptions about the nature of the world. Schufeld pushes students to consider those assumptions even when discussions are getting heated. Oftentimes I try to, in the heat of the moment, um, make people switch sides um, and argue the same topic um, from multiple perspectives. So what would you think about taxes if this was your income? Okay, what would you think about taxes if this was your income? What would you think about uh, this issue if you were speaking it from an interest group perspective or from a partisan perspective or from an elected official? Um, and by doing that, I'm able to bring in a little more of the context of the things that I want the students to focus on, not who is right or wrong, but how elections or rules or institutions can kind of shape these types of things. And so I will often just keep probing uh, questions, repeatedly asking why or how something works. That even if I disagree with students or that um, they might be articulating an unpopular or heated uh, perspective, they have to keep defending it and they have to keep going down a certain argument. Um, and so I find that that's helpful um, to try to address blanket partisanship of either perspective. That if, I, if you just keep asking enough questions and asking students to explain it, they'll either identify that A, they have a really solid understanding of an issue, or B, they need to do more research. They need to build their argument better uh, so that they can be more persuasive in the future. But how do you handle classroom discussions that get out of control when students ignore the guidelines and get personal? Absolutely. Students sometimes cross a line in terms of their own partisan rhetoric, uh, and I have to work with that student um, and ask them to explore deeper, to probe a little deeper about why they think the things they did, uh, or to reframe their language in, uh, in ways that are more accessible to the rest of the class so that others, even if they disagree with them, can learn from them. But if it just devolves into a shouting match or a, I read this on Fox News, I read this on MSNBC, uh, we don't really learn anything. I simply say, ho, 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 hold on a minute. Let me see if I can help you understand what they meant or what they thought. And then I would then ask the person, is that what you were trying to convey? Reuben May agrees that you cannot let those moments get out of control, but you can also use them for learning. My stopping that interaction eases the emotional part. Or if somebody said, you're a damn racist, and I go, I was thinking that about myself too. Laughter. Now we're back. Now we're back. You see? It's expressing kind of rules for how you interact in these contexts about difficult topics, but also there's a talent to it that's kind of intuitive, which means you have to know something about the people you're talking to, which I spend a lot of time doing that. Shavella Pittman also believes that interruption of heated discussions is necessary and can lead to teachable moments. I will interrupt and say, you know, 
it seems to me that you're having an emotional response. I'm going to give you a moment to uh, stop and reflect and think about, you know, why you're having an emotional response at this moment. Um, I might have everybody sort of write for a minute and then I'll ask them to connect that response to a specific learning goal. I'm stopping the, the moment so that people can get, gather their thoughts, like what's going on, what's um, upsetting them, what are they thinking, what's the logical extension of, you know, the response that they're, that they're having, whether it be defensiveness or, or anger or whatever. But I always connect it back to a learning goal for the course so that that's the way to re-enter the conversation. That's the way to focus the conversation back on sort of the topic at hand. Greg Schufeld adds that following up after difficult discussions is another important intervention. Sometimes I definitely have had to completely shut down conversations. Uh, sometimes as much as possible, I try to debrief at the end of each class so students don't walk out of the classroom fuming where they're going to talk with their co-partisans or with like-minded people about, can you believe what so-and-so classmate said? So I try to make sure that when they leave class, um, that the information they have has been useful and that we can come back to that point in the next class. Um, periodically, I will uh, share my reflections via email after the class about how I've thought about the situation in a way to diffuse things. But what about faculty involvement in opinionated discussion? Is it appropriate or even useful for faculty to argue their own point of view, particularly over divisive issues? I make a conscious choice not to disclose that information. I do that for pedagogical reasons. I understand that each faculty um, person comes at this from a different perspective, but a lot of my research uh, is on partisanship. And I think we've seen this election, and I, I can't attribute this, uh, the quote, but somebody said that partisanship is a hell of a drug. But it also pro uh, impacts how we process information. And so I don't want half of my class to automatically accept what I'm saying because they think that we're co-partisans. And I don't want half of my class to automatically dismiss what I'm saying out of hand because I um, come from a different perspective. So this idea of motivated reasoning or partisanship as a lens with which we receive information uh, to me, I'm really conscious of trying to follow um, what my research might suggest and what uh, research of people much more accomplished than myself would suggest about how partisanship impacts how we process information. So I really make a point of trying to be a neutral arbiter. Uh, I frequently play devil's advocate and argue um, positions that I don't personally agree with, um, but to help facilitate discussion. Uh, and I feel that that's an important role that I can play. Reuben May often does share his own opinion, but he is judicious about when he does so. I always say to my students, I don't care whether you decide to be racist, whether you decide to be sexist, or any of those things, as long as you have thought through and have a rational reason for why you're doing what it is you're doing. I don't have to accept that. You have to think through, which means you need to consider the range of ideas about what you're talking about in order for you to have a position. And by me as a professor injecting my own position there, I inhibit that process from unfolding for them. May, who is Christian, tells the story of how he was invited by a student one day to a Bible study. And I said, nope, I will not join you. And he said, why? I said, because to do what I'm able to do, I cannot be placed in a box. So if someone sees me sitting and studying the Bible with you all, I am now placed in a box. So I have to manipulate everything that I do to the end that people must not know how I feel 
because they will try to get in front of what I'm thinking or arguing without actually giving it serious contemplation, and that defeats the purpose. Jay Howard offers an additional argument for withholding your personal opinion. We all have what um, psychologists call a confirmation bias, that we're prone to listen to and accept the validity of information which reinforces positions that we already hold. We're, we're more likely to reject information that disagrees with positions that we already hold. So we have to make a, a conscious effort to be open to hearing other people's points of view and perspective. And while avoiding such conflicted conversations might be natural, it's not what's best for students, says Pittman. Like this is a part of your job. Having co difficult conversations are a part of your, your job. So it's something that people should be um, comfortable with. In addition to being a part of your job, it's actually sort of the, the meat of learning. Like it's the part that's exciting too. So I think people approach these sorts of scenarios with dread. Um, but if you accept them as sort of like a normal part of learning, a place for you and your students to have um, growth and, and insight, it can sort of reduce some of the anxiety about it. Back on the campus of Texas A&M, in the middle of a tense time on campus, most of the students we talked to agreed that having these discussions is important. I just think it's it's, it's important to to have those discussions, even if it's a difficult one like yeah, today, for example. That's the reason we're here today, right? Part of a college experience is learning these different viewpoints and being exposed to different backgrounds. Um, but I think, in my classes at least, it's been very productive and uh, positive as far as creating a community. Like uh, the point of college is to open your eyes to experiences, and the classroom is there for you to learn. Especially, I mean, even if it's not a class dedicated to politics or social issues that you might want to discuss in the classroom, it's a new place to open your mind. You know, not everyone has a Twitter, not everyone has friends that know about these issues. So being able to sit in a classroom and have a professor who's educated, probably a lot more than I am, and tell me a little bit and like discuss back and forth, I think that's very helpful. Uh, our professor, he does a really good job of kind of uh, being a mediator in the class because every now and then he, I, you, you can see a look on his face every now and then he's like, like he wants to stop it, but he knows he, it's his job to let it keep going. If you, if you just shut it down, there's no, I mean, we don't get anywhere with that. You have to know both sides before you can kind of make your sort of argument. Tie it back to the class. I, I think that's what they can do. And don't just stifle discussion based on what you're supposed to be talking about. I think it can create a harder atmosphere to pay attention or to learn because there's this barrier of like, oh, this is personal, but after discussing it and breaking it down, then it becomes much more of a learning experience. I think if everything's done in a respectful manner, you can still do things that are effective in the classroom. You can still move forward with assignments and stuff like that. But if you're just having a shouting match, then I don't think that's very helpful to anything. Whether your courses require that you discuss difficult topics or they just pop up from time to time, knowing how to not only manage but use such discussions for improving learning is an important skill. We've summarized some of the advice in this program on this podcast page along with links to other resources. What do you think? Is managing difficult topics successfully mostly a skill or is it intuition? 
Do you have suggestions for other faculty for handling difficult discussions? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us or comment on this podcast page. Our thanks to Philip Jankowski of the Austin American Statesman for providing additional sound from Texas A&M for this episode. For IDEA, I'm David Pollock. <laughs>